Welcome, everyone, to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host, Tim Root, and I am joined by my broadcast colleagues, the American Males. It's David Alexander Amantorp. Nice, I got a no. good one. <laughs> and Johnny Amantorp. Scotty Riggs sound, I don't know. I've never heard him talk. Well, before we get too far into the show, as always, I want to let you know that you can find us at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. You can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. And we are proud members of two fantastic networks. The first is, of course, the Old School Wrestling Podcast Network, which you can find at piledriverwrestling.net. And our newer affiliation with the Freakin' Awesome Network at freakinawesomenetwork.net. Today is January 8th, 1996, and Nitro is emanating from Charleston, South Carolina at the North Charleston Coliseum in front of 5,000 fans about 2,300 of whom paid for a total gate of $28,000. This week, uh, Pepe has on a little bomber jacket because the flak is going to fly as our main event is going to be Hulk Hogan and Randy Macho Man Savage versus Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. And also, Eric Bischoff is wearing a Planet Hollywood jacket. Yep, yep, I noticed that. <laughs> that is so 1996. <laughs> oh, <Jesus> and uh, <laughs> just as the episode comes up, Nick Patrick walks out and like fireworks explode behind him. <laughs> the best entrance <laughs> of his career, I think. Uh, Heenan gets in his now fairly uh, regular flicking off of the camera. Yep. Uh, this time <laughs> under the guise of adjusting his mic. Uh, before he moves on to scratching his nose. So he, he actually does two different ways of flicking off the camera this week. He's getting bolder. Oh, he's <laughs> seriously, I just imagine within four weeks he's going to walk off with two birds, just one on each hand, just, just holding him up. Who gives a fuck? I want a T-shirt of Bobby the Brain Heenan just holding up two middle fingers. <laughs> it just says, welcome to Nitro. <laughs> <laughs> Mongo puts over WCW putting their big matches on free TV and says that the other league doesn't go through these lengths for their fans. Uh, Heenan starts hyping up the match, but he has trouble remembering the names Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. Whoops. There's a real awkward pause while he tries <laughs> to remember. We go to the ring pretty much right away as Chris Benoit comes out with Brian Pillman to take on Alex Wright. Das Wunderkind's back. Oh, Finally. The announcers do a good job of breaking down the problems with the Horsemen uh, recently, uh, you know, between especially Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. And Mongo effectively, I felt, compares Pillman to a young football player who runs his mouth and gives the other team bulletin board material. I, I thought that was a real strong comparison, especially coming from Mongo, who has played in the NFL. Uh, what do you guys think? I, well, I think it's also interesting because uh, Brian Pillman also was in the NFL too, wasn't he? Oh, that's true. Yes, yeah. it's a name for the Bengal. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Maybe he actually did provide bullet material. Yeah, Brian Pillman was so cool. <laughs> he really was. I, yeah. I didn't like him that much when I was a kid because I think I kind of felt like he was like the the fifth wheel of the Horsemen. Uh-huh. But man, he is so cool. <laughs> I'm is. really enjoying watching him. Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, uh. Alex Wright walks to the ring with all-time Brie Bella, I'm losing this match face. <laughs> Alex Wright can't even get his coat off before Benoit starts clobbering him, uh, kicking him while he's down. Benoit hits a snap suplex and a scoop slam to keep the momentum on his side. 
Uh, after another suplex, he gets a two count, and then he just throws right to the outside where Brian Pillman kicks him for a little bit. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first time we've seen Chris Benoit with the uh, Four Horsemen tights? I think you're right, yeah. Uh, I, I liked it because, well, I mean, in comparison, he had like those yellow ugly oh, tights. Oh, right. terrible. Yeah. But uh, I always just thought it was just kind of funny that it said 4-H on it because like for the Midwest like 4-H club right you expect (laughs) him to see him at the state fair trying to tell you about the pigs that he raised or something (laughs) yeah (laughs) back in the ring Benoit gets right in the corner for some chops and punches he then whips right to the opposite corner and charges at him but Wright uh, quickly climbs to the top rope and backflips over him and hits a jumping heel kick in a very nice little spot Uh, I continue to be impressed with Alex Wright I wish he was on maybe a little more often or was involved in an actual program. He's always just kind of there to put on a good little match and then gone with nothing really to show for it. Yeah, they just kind of bring him in when it's like, well, we need someone to face him. They they don't. It doesn't seem like they ever have anything in particular for Alex Wright to do. Right. Wright goes to the top rope again and hits a flying crossbody uh, and then a slingshot, which sends Benoit over the top rope. Bobby wonders why that's not a DQ, and Bischoff idiotically argues that it didn't look intentional. I don't know, like, monkey flips and slingshots. What move could be less unintentional than those moves? <laughs> right. And, and to, like, in the NFL, unintentional helmet-to-helmet right. is still the same penalty as a very intentional helmet-to-helmet. Wright climbs to the top rope and dives down onto Benoit on the floor below. Nick Patrick starts counting for uh, to count Benoit out, but he manages to get back in the ring around, like, six or seven. Bischoff uh, says that for making WCW the most watched wrestling show in the world, uh, that WCW is offering great free action all January, uh, specifically alluding to the upcoming Clash of the Champions. And he contrasts that against the WWF, who are charging fans to take a picture with the belt. Uh, Apparently, WWF had just started a program at house shows where you could pay $10 for a Polaroid of yourself uh, with Bret Hart and the the title belt in the Polaroid with you. Oh, okay. He um, also refers to uh, Titanic sports. Yeah. Right. Sports. <laughs> yeah. yeah and which is clever. Yeah, he says it's without question undeniably the most watched wrestling program every Monday night. <laughs> right. To this point, this is week 16, their head-to-head. Raw has won six, Nitro has won seven, and two virtual ties. <laughs> nice. So Good undeniably research. is a weird word to use. <laughs> also, they lost just last week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bischoff says that WCW won't do stuff like that $10 Polaroid and that 1995 was their most successful year, uh, which is true. The company in 1995 turned their first profit uh, in their seven-year history. Uh, they're not a publicly traded company they're a division of turner so we we don't get financial records so it's suspected that the profit was small uh-huh. um but for them to show any profit is a great sign and certainly um an indication that bischoff has sort of righted things that were were really all over the map before he took over yeah and in lots of interviews bischoff has given since then he always has a saying of like if i could produce like one dollar profit right that would have been a success and and it sound it seems like within a year that he was able to do that. So, uh, you know he's he's always come off as a really cocky, confident guy. Right. But the fact that he is pulling off what he wanted to do like almost immediately right. just gives him more fuel to be a, as as cocky as and like and just throwing more stuff at WWF right. uh, on air, even if it's really really poor jokes like Titanic sports. <laughs> and and Bischoff certainly absorbs a lot of the blame for things that happen later with WCW. Um, and, and some of that is, I'm sure, right, and some of it is wrong. And to his credit, I think he takes the blame on, too. I don't think he for really some makes of excuses for his um, failures. But I, I don't think that enough credit is given for when he was focused on making WCW a, a popular product and maybe less focused with his own burgeoning kind of Hollywood career. I don't think there's any doubt that he was a successful leader for WCW. Absolutely. Yeah, and and considering what it seemed like the place was just a mess before he showed up. It didn't like uh Turner Sports didn't really care who was even running things. Yeah. So because he got like his promotion was like 
16 levels up or something like that. <laughs> right. It was ridiculous. He's probably a great example of someone who's best when he's hungry, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. Once he gets complacent and comfortable and has some money in the bank, it's a little more of a who gives a shit situation. <laughs> right. But when he was hungry, when he was striving to prove himself, I mean, if you read his autobiography, the most fascinating parts are everything that happens before he's successful. Yeah. Because he's just trying one thing after another and slowly clawing his way up. Um, and that's that's the more interesting part of his life. Definitely. Yeah, and I think he's one of the only guys from WCW at this point that actually had money left over by the time <laughs> the company folded. So he actually got, got his choice of projects afterwards. Yeah. So he was basically like the 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 big a- the athlete that's playing for the big contract, but then once right. he once he yes. gets it, it's just like eating Big Macs and stuff. Yeah, plays one big contract and retires and yeah. gets super fat like Charles Barkley. Meanwhile, in the ring, uh, Wright has Benoit in a Boston Crab. He then switches to an STF, and then for reasons that boggle the mind, he just kind of gives up on the submission. He just gets up, and Mongo, uh, Mongo of all people, is like, (laughs) I don't know why he's doing that. (laughs) And you see this sometimes. I don't know in a match why you ever give up on a submission hold that you have locked in. Even if they're not giving up, you are hurting them. The longer you do it, the more they will be hurt. That could be kind of part of the reason why Alex Wright maybe wasn't bigger, because... He didn't really have much of a personality. Like, he was a great athlete, and his yeah. matches were exciting, but he didn't have much of a gimmick. And I don't know that he was particularly charismatic or maybe Yeah. I mean, he's got that dance. I really like yeah, that dance. Yeah, the dance was good. But. <laughs> uh, I mean, at this point, I, I think that I do remember wrestlers, like, just giving up on holds and stuff yeah. like that when it's like, well, he's not going to submit, so i got to try something else. So that was kind of a standard. So he's probably doing what was, was standard, but – Mongo, who who is still relatively new, sees that and asks, why is he giving up on that move? Well, and, and now we're living in a post-UFC world. Uh, yeah. So I think that sort of colors the way you see it. You know, there's no way a, a real fighter is giving up on a locked-in submission. It's just not happening. Right. Back on their feet, they trade punches and chops. Alex Wright reverses an Irish whip attempt and hits uh, Benoit with a back elbow. Wright then hits him with a snap suplex. He runs off the ropes, but Brian Pillman from the outside trips him, and Alex Wright gets pissed, so he hits a slingshot plancha to the outside on top of Brian Pillman. <laughs> that was, he really he really escalated that situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he tried to trip you. You didn't get tripped. I'd focus on the guy you're in the match with rather yeah. than hit a ding, that was, that a high-risk move to the outside. That was a minimal concept. Yeah, because what, what happened last week when Benoit did that? Right. It cost him the match. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and that's another example of uh, what you mentioned about the show last week, too. That they were definitely investing a lot in Brian Pillman, so right. I'm sure that was definitely by design. Back in the ring, Wright and Benoit go back and forth until Wright successfully drops a dragon suplex attempt. They grapple and trade elbows and punches. They're just kind of going through a lot of, like, standing reversals. It's a nice sequence. I just don't know how to really describe it. Yeah. Um, Wright then gets in some European uppercuts, but Benoit hits a, like, big right-handed palm strike. Uh, He just hits him right in the nose with his palm and then gets his dragon suplex finisher holding on for the 1-2-3 pinfall victory. Short match, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and I like that that sequence you were just mentioning at the very end. It, It made it look like... Both of them were trying to one up each other, right? Uh, especially since both of them have lot have uh, back suplexes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like you said, it was really short. Um, it was a they did a good job of uh, keeping Pillman involved and also making Alex Wright not look stupid in realizing like there's a guy that's in that's yeah interfere. But uh, yeah, I think it was a very effective uh, start off. Yeah, and you know Benoit, the superior wrestler, beats the high flyer with a very wrestling move too yep so alex wright just bit off more you can chew there after the match brian pillman taunts wright including spitting right in his face yeah that was <laughs> just directly in his face <laughs> yeah bischoff uh cryptically and sort of presciently says that we shouldn't be surprised if we don't see too much of brian pillman in wcw Ooh. any longer <laughs> <laughs> i could i did say that that was uh that was some good unintentional foreshadowing yeah well <laughs> maybe intentional because bischoff and pillman at this point are friends and they're starting to talk about their long-term plans which we will get to in a future episode yeah we go to a commercial and coming back uh just like seg two last week after our commercial it's Lord Steven Regal coming out. All right. This time he has traded in Jeeves for Squire David Taylor. 
Uh, Bischoff kind of does his Jerry Seinfeld again, and what's the deal with Squire David Taylor? What's that about? <laughs> We've seen that attitude from him before. He doesn't really have any punchline this time, but it's yeah. just, what's that about? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hope that's a Seinfeld impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I I never caught that until you just mentioned it. <laughs> I know he said that a lot, but I, yeah. I never put it together since it's like the mid-90s. Uh, with Seinfeld being so popular that he right. probably was like directly <laughs> taking that from it. We will save David Taylor's full bio for when he makes a true in-ring debut, but suffice it for now to say he's an English wrestler who has spent most of his time in England and Germany before w- coming to WCW to join the Blue Bloods, taking them all the way from tag team to faction. Out comes Eddie Guerrero, and I am really excited right away for this match because... This is a great contrast of styles. Last week we had uh, Regal's very mat-based wrestling against Benoit, who is a different style of mat-based, but is still a, a, a mat-based you know, technician. Yeah. Eddie can do mat-based, but he's more a high flyer. So I'm really excited to see how those styles kind of contrast with each yeah, other. Yeah, especially since a lot of what Lord Steven Regal does is like it's close combat. Right. And uh, Eddie Guerrero going to the top and maybe staying away from him could be really frustrating. They lock up and jostle with uh, neither man getting the advantage, and they just kind of split up and look frustrated with each other. Bischoff puts over the the true fact that we mentioned last week that William Regal has wrestled since he was 15 years old. Uh, Eddie then gets a wrist lock, but Regal kind of somersault reverses and gets the ropes for a rope break on the submission hold. They then go to a lot of fantastic groundwork um, where this looks almost like an amateur match, where they're just like legitimately kind of grappling on the mat yeah and it's very good slow i think the pacing of the opening is fantastic Mm -hmm. it's very deliberate they're they're really feeling each other out um they're they're not taking risks you know they're just kind of seeing what what each other have yeah and regal at this point um looks kind of offended that eddie is trying to out wrestle him i think yeah and that comes across really well and it, and it gets to what Dave talked about last week with Regal's amazing facial expressions. Yeah. He can convey so much emotion in the ring, uh, which a lot of guys completely fail to do. Mm-hmm. More wrist lock reversals from both men, uh, which sounds lame, but is actually really exciting. <laughs> uh, Bischoff tells us to forget about the royal fumble yeah. and instead watch Clash of the Champions. <laughs> and Mongo immediately says, and there's going to be a wedding, isn't there? <laughs> Yeah, that's what I have next in my notes here. Regal <laughs> works a headlock on the mat as Mongo tells us that there's going to be a wedding at the Clash. Uh, so that answers our question that was raised last week. Is Colonel Robert Parker going to propose to sensational, or excuse me, sensual Sherry, I believe she's called her. Sister Sherry uh, by this point because she's... Uh, whatever. With, uh, whatever, <laughs> Sherry. <laughs> Sherry. Uh, so he did propose to her on Saturday night, and we are going to see that wedding coming up at Clash of the Champions. But like what John was trying to say, that he's selling the excitement of WCW in comparison to WWF, <laughs> and the first attraction <laughs> is a goddamn wedding. Yeah, and the Royal Rumble is, like, for me, easily the best match of the year every yes, single year. I, I look forward to that more than I look forward to, like, even WrestleMania. It's a, it's, the Royal it, Rumble, it's a goddamn wedding. Yeah, yeah the yeah. Royal Rumble is, like, the most guaranteed entertainment show, like, for any of the... Right. Beca- yeah, and it's just, it's so goofy. Like, they, there's not a match or anything <laughs> they have yet. Uh, so we get a little more WWF bashing as Mongo makes reference to the WWF pay-per-views being overpriced. This is a reference to WWF... Uh, they're moving their pay-per-views up by another 10 bucks, So that's why they're specifically pointing out the, the price and pointing out how they're free uh, this month anyway. The pace finally picks up with Regal hitting an Irish whip. Eddie springs off the second rope, uh, but Regal dodges the kind of crossbody that he's, Eddie's going for. And the sequence ends with Regal getting a big knee to Eddie's gut. So things are starting to speed up now. Uh... Bischoff tries to say, in reference to Robert Parker and Sherry, that this is not a match made in heaven, but let's go to a clip of hearing him fumble through that. Eric, is Bunkhouse Buck going to be best man at that wedding? I don't know, man. This is a not a match, not a married marriage made in heaven. Are you jealous because she didn't pick you, maybe? No, 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 no. no. You don't understand. After that uh, awkward fumbling by Bischoff, we get a butterfly suplex from Regal, but that is reversed by Eddie into an arm drag. Uh, that kind of lucha-style flying arm drag that I really like seeing, yeah. which he follows up by a head scissors, 
Eddie then misses a drop kick, and Regal gets a two count, uh, but Eddie reverses the pin for his own two count. Regal then takes control with a European uppercut and a reverse suplex, and now it sort of changes gears. Um, we had a slow feeling out, and then we had some very quick-paced action, and now we moved into Regal very slowly and deliberately dismantling Eddie with just a lot of punches and kicks, and Eddie will get in a little comeback, and Regal will just cut it off every time. Yeah, I, I thought this was interesting because I know that, that Stephen Regal is kind of the guy that they use to, like, work in younger wrestlers. And I didn't know if this is more of a situation where they're like, let's get him in the ring with Stephen Regal and see what Eddie Guerrero is made of. Sure. Um, because I felt that he, especially with, like, the European uppercuts and stuff, he's, like, especially laying on Eddie in this match. Oh, yeah, yeah. and those open palm slaps, too. Yeah. Peppering him with them. Yeah. So... This goes on for a while until Eddie, out of nowhere, dodges a punch and hooks the arm, turning it into a backslide for the out-of-nowhere surprise victory. Hooray! Yeah, and it's good stuff because building up to that, they have Regal just just smacking him with the open palms, and Eddie's getting really fired up. Yeah. And you think maybe he's going to lose it, but then he turns the tables on Regal, and I thought that was really well done. Right, because uh, previously we have seen Eddie grow kind of losing and go into just duking it out with guys. Right. So having like a switch like that is surprising which is which reflects the fact that surprise regal yeah and they actually built up to it too well, how about uh, that? intentionally or otherwise i thought this match was great um it's it's certainly everything you hope in eddie guerrero uh william regal steven regal sorry yeah. <laughs> uh televised match is going to be eddie showed that he can do regal style mm -hmm. um regal you know this was a regal match and Eddie worked that style. It wasn't Regal didn't come to Eddie's style, really. Right. Um, not that he had to. Uh, and Eddie showed, you know, that it's not just the Lucha stuff that he's capable of. Regal loses, but he still looks very strong. It was, you know, a lucky backslide out of nowhere. Yep. Uh, so I just, I thought it was a fantastic match. What about you guys? I, I agree. And also this, uh, his reaction, like, after the match and, like, talking to the camera insisting that it was like he got lucky and stuff like that uh regal did a good job of saving face by being like such in character that right. just being like appalled that he lost in that way yeah um, but not at the expense of eddie still going over there right right or or just not anything that's like just damaging eddie's character right. or yeah. anything like that no i thought it was really good and you could tell by the way you're describing it there's definitely this is very similar to the Eddie Guerrero uh, Johnny B. Bad match, where there's a clear arc of what's happening during this right. bout. And uh, yeah, this this match tells a story. Yeah, to, I know that's kind of a wrestling cliche, but it, this one really does. Yeah, and I think the two or three instances in which we've had matches like that in Nitro have all had Eddie Guerrero in them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I was gonna say, uh, you know, we didn't do like a big year-end awards thing because we didn't do a full year. Nitro started in September. It seemed weird. Right. But if I had to choose a 95 MVP for Nitro, it'd be Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, no doubt. Ric Flair would be a close second, but Eddie mm -hmm. would be would be the favorite easily. Yeah. No, I concur. After a commercial, we get Sting and Lex Luger coming out for a promo, and we will listen to that now. All right, we are back live on the air. Joining me right now, the total package, Lex Luger and Sting. These are a couple of the great stalwarts here at WCW, unlike the new generation who just added a couple of, well, let's say this, they're very close to uh, collecting Social Security. Gentlemen, your name's very prominent in the news. I am getting ready to exhale. Sting, you've got some questions for Lex Luger, and I think this is the perfect whoa, 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 What do you mean, questions? I thought we He's got some questions. We can the clash. You got questions, we, we can answer them in the back. No, 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 no. I do have a question. I've got a question that I want to ask you live on national TV right here. Let's have it, Sting. Yeah, it seems like you have a problem with this. I'm, I'm hoping you don't. That's all I got to say. Do you have a problem with this, Lex? Well, I, what are we talking about? The triangle match? We've already talked about that. We've come to, sometimes in the heat of battle, things happen. No, no we're, not, we're not talking about the heat of the battle. We're not talking about what happened during the match. We're talking about what happened after the match. You know, I've got some uh, still photos here from Starcade. Do, do you mind if I show them? Let's okay, let's let's take a look right here. Now, now here we are. Let's go back to Nashville, Tennessee, on the 27th. 
Tell us what's going on here, Sting. What's going on there is I've got a chance to make it back into the ring right there for the world title. And Lex, you grabbed my arm and pulled me down just before the 10 count, so I couldn't get back in the ring. Doesn't what is that all about? That doesn't sound like a friend I'd want to have. Well, I know everybody's asking your family, friends about that. And Stinger, from one friend to another, if you give me the chance to show you the footage before that happened, I injured my knee. I was hurt. I reached out to you like I always have. You've always been there as my friend, and I was injured. I wanted you to help me up. And that's all there was to it. And one other thing, if you give me the chance once again in the class coming up from Vegas to show you what kind of man a total package really is in tag team action. Doesn't really sound kosher to me, Sting. I don't know, Mean Gene. I'm just a, I'm thinking about it right now. We've had a few tag matches here and there, but I've never thought about an actual tag team. And to be honest with you, now that I think about it, maybe we would both of us make a pretty damn good tag team. Well, not, not we'd be the best tag team. That's what we'd be. Come on, Singer. That's okay. I'll, I'll go with that. Let's do it. All right. Nice, right. Apparently, these two men have bonded right here on WCW Monday Nitro. After all that's been said about Sting and Lex Luger, they're heading to Las Vegas as a tag team when they meet the Blue Bloods. Eric Bischoff, let's get back. So as you can hear there, uh, it sounds like that they are going to be a real tag team instead of just tagging occasionally. Uh, and they are going to go for Harlem Heat's tag belts, but they are going to start off with, I guess, a warm-up match against the Blue Bloods at Clash of the Champions? I Yeah, I guess so. It seems like they're like, yeah, let's get the tag belts by fighting a team that's not the champion right. at the Clash of the Champions. And right after this promo, Sting has a singles match. You, yeah, <laughs> you know. Mean Gene also at the beginning there takes another shot at WWE uh, by talking about how some of the new generation are old. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, true. Uh, I think he's referring to... Uh, Jake the Snake has been announced for coming back for the Royal Rumble. Sure. Um, but if you're Zelda, if you're WCW, why would you criticize anyone for having old wrestlers? Yeah, they're they're totally throwing stones from their glass house. That's your two thing. biggest baby faces are bald. I mean, come <laughs> on, not voluntarily. No, bald no, either. not shaved head bald. <laughs> yeah, I I, I couldn't figure out initially what who they were talking about. They were. Uh, close to collecting social security checks but uh i i mean other than jake i don't know who they could be talking about unless they're trying to rip on them for signing vader yeah or sid he was a wcw washout well and but no he's, they not, had, he's uh, not a new addition though no, no they had dan spivey as uh waylon mercy and he was pretty old but he's gone from the company by this point so yeah. i don't think it's him <laughs> jeez was yeah. it was it like the walkout thing he walked out when they dropped the b house shows uh, yeah. A lot of the guys talked about walking out, and he <laughs> yeah. was the only one who I'm did. I'm pretty sure he got a career-ending injury around that He point was in too. bad shape. That was a Neck great character, but yeah. he was physically in no shape to wrestle. <laughs> Next up, we get Sting versus Diamond Dallas Page, but first, a commercial and a promo for Saturday Night, which is apparently going to feature part two of an exclusive interview with Mike Ditka? <laughs> what? Uh former Bears coach maybe still current Bears coach I don't know I don't if he is so. or if he was in I mean, was he in New Orleans yet or was he out of New Orleans I think already? he was totally done by this point I think he was a TV guy no already. because remember- all I know is that he has not a fucking thing to do with wrestling yeah. <laughs> so yeah I, I don't know why you would tune into WCW Saturday night to watch an interview with former NFL coach Mike Ditka <laughs> but if that's the kind of thing you want to see uh, by all means tune in they're like they said that there's a you might take a view. Oh, and by the way, Flair and Savage for the title. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Out comes DDP. He promises to defeat Sting and then go after Johnny B. Bozo to reclaim the television title and quote his Diamond Doll. And he also said that he was going to beat Sting for the U.S. title. Yeah, first. I, I have that. And he's like, I'm going to beat him for the U.S. I was like. Yeah, and winning the U.S. title is like the opening act for regaining the TV title. Isn't that slumming it a little bit at that point? Bobby says that the Diamond Doll shouldn't uh, have even been out there with DDP in the first place. She should have been in the dressing room folding socks and towels. Mongo tells us before the match even starts that DDP is going to lose. Yeah. So, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, um, when, I read, when I read about that moment, people made it sound like 
that he gave away the ending and that Bobby Heenan had a cover for him? No, I don't think so. I didn't buy that either. Bobby Heenan's the king of giving away endings anyway. Yeah, Come so on. I guess maybe we should describe it in a little more detail now that we've talked about it so much. Mongo says uh, that things didn't end well for DDP in 95, and they started, and he goes, and they started off bad in 96 with him losing here to Sting. And then Mongo, or, or Bobby says, well, he hasn't lost yet. And Mongo is like, well, he's going to wrestle Sting, isn't he? So the the idea is that he's just so confident. And it's clear. I like making fun of Mongo as much as anyone. Yeah. But it's very clear from the way he says it that he's just saying Sting is so great, you can count on him to make quick work of DDP. Right. Yeah. And I agree. It's just that when I read about it, because I, I, I read the synopsis before watching the match, and they're like, there's this moment where Mago gives away the ending. <laughs> and w- when I heard it, I was like, no, it's just he's facing Sting. You'd yeah. expect Sting to win right, this match. Right. It's just it's not it's it's not like the, the announcer shouldn't be saying like, well, this guy's obviously going to lose. Right. It's not it's poor etiquette. But, but I mean, he is ultimately the babyface color commentator. Right. If Bischoff said it, it'd be one thing. But mm-hmm. coming from Mongo, I don't really see it as a problem. Yeah, it seemed totally above board to me. DDP rubs his cigar all over Sting's face before the bell rings and takes control early. Yeah. The Gross. referee barely admonishes him for it. <laughs> That's a foreign object. <laughs> Sting drop kicks uh, DDP through the ropes and hits a slingshot plancha. Back in the ring, a leapfrog by Sting goes awry when DDP's huge head can't fit through <laughs> uh, and hits him right in the crotch, yeah. crashing Sting to the mat. That actually seemed like that was intentional to me because it looked like Sting kind of measured the jump. and I mean, that would be incredible if they had that kind of timing but that looked intentional to me it could be because they certainly they do a good job working well the reason i don't know that it is is because ddp stalls quite a bit he doesn't immediately go after sting he more plays the crowd and does all the things that a wrestler does when they're buying the other guy some time oh that's where they play to the crowd and maybe they give a few very weak kicks that don't connect or come anywhere close yeah but more or less they're just like giving that guy some time to lay there and get his shit together yeah i didn't even think of that good call ddp keeps control with a back suplex and some kicks followed by a swinging uh neck breaker for a one count he gets a chin lock on the mat and uh, works that for a while, gaining leverage by getting his feet on the ropes. And he keeps getting his feet on and then taking him off before Nick Patrick catches him. Yeah. But Nick Patrick keeps getting up and like seeing the ropes bounce around, uh-huh. and he just looks so suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> but he can't quite catch him. Yeah. It's really comical and really well done and very very funny. Yeah. I was I, also I started noticing during this match that the uh, the announcers are making lots of references to Diamond Dallas Page's conditioning. Oh really? I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, they were, but I don't know if it was some if they were trying to make it over the fact that like he's still like a developing wrestler. Yeah, because his whole character is like a gambler who smokes and drinks, and yeah, his conditioning shouldn't be impressive even based on the character. I di- I just didn't know whether or not this was like they were trying to make a point to Diamond Dallas Page about like getting into good shape. Maybe, but I mean, he wasn't like a fat guy or anything yeah, I like think that. No, and he's he's uh, Bischoff's boy. Like, they're... Yeah. Th- he, a real big reason he has the spot he does is due to his friendship with Eric Bischoff. Sting manages to uh, stinger up. Again, I don't know what to oh. call it when you're not Hulk Hogan. Right. <laughs> he starts no-selling and gets up to his feet. Um, DDP manages to get him back to the mat without ever releasing the chin lock. So Stinger kind of fights his way up to the... the standing position and ddp just fights him back down to the mat keeping the chin lock on the (laughs) entire time uh but sting manages to get up to his feet a second time and this time he hits some punches and a face buster uh i think the face buster is what i've been calling in the past his shitty bulldog yeah i think instead of a (laughs) shitty bulldog it's just a it's just a face buster which looks stupid a stinger splash and some flexing from sting before he locks on the scorpion death lock but he is too close to the ropes and dallas gets a rope break Bobby says that uh, DDP is hanging with Sting and wrestling smart, proving that he is now a main eventer. I think that's stretching it, but I do like that they're elevating this guy a bit through commentary. Sure. And Bobby Heenan's better than anybody else in this show getting other guys over. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we have mentioned that quite a, quite a few times that uh, no, no matter who they're facing, he try, he puts an effort to at least bring up something positive about the other opponent. He's been a very big proponent of Eddie Guerrero um, yeah. at times, and yeah, this is just another good example. Uh, people coming to him at, at the airports all the time. Yeah, just, about Eddie Guerrero. They, all they want to know about <laughs> is Eddie Guerrero. 
Some back and forth action sees both men get two counts. Uh, eventually, Sting catches a kick and turns that into a scorpion deathlock, this time in the middle of the ring for the submission victory. Uh, I thought this was a acceptable TV match. Nothing special, but not, not nothing was bad. Um, DDP looked pretty good. Uh, so yeah, I, this was just a very typical, what I would consider your average television match. I actually like, I like the match a lot because, um, I like matches where, um, something happens that makes sense for both of the characters and that they both are either looking stronger, or at least more interesting coming out of it. Sure. And this is, I think the first real time that Diamond Dallas Page hangs in there with like a certified main eventer, um, in WC. So I, I like this match a lot. Yeah. You, I mean, from what I can remember, since Nitro started, we've only really seen him against Giant Be Bad. Yeah, yeah. And and he, Giant Be Bad always seems to get the best of him. Um, I thought it was interesting what you mentioned beforehand uh, of how Sting and Luger were saying, "Oh yeah, we're gonna be a really damn good tag yeah, team." Officially a tag team. And, and then, then he goes and has a singles <laughs> match, and Luger's nowhere to be found. Well, to be fair, that match would have been booked before he and Luger made that agreement to be a tag team. So he made an agreement to be a tag team, but he couldn't change the match that he... If we're looking at this in a kayfabe sense... He should have forfeited <laughs> to preserve himself for future <laughs> tag team matches. We get a commercial, and when we come back, uh, the announcers talk up the main event, and Mongo calls the horsemen scallywags. So I, I guess the match is being moved to Davy Jones' locker. <laughs> also, there is there seems to be a whole lot of uh, shade being thrown on Randy Savage. Because uh, Eric Bischoff makes sure to mention that Hulk Hogan is a former world heavyweight champion. Oh, yeah. Nothing for Savage. And that <laughs> Hogan was willing to take on all four of the horsemen by himself. <laughs> for the record, he, he could have uh, beat them all himself. So, well, they were all begging at his feet a week ago. So <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but like even when Savage is on top, there's always like there's just something that they do to kind of like drag him back down. I don't know why. I don't know if it, it's something to do with that those two didn't get along very well and that there is maybe some backstage politics. But it, whenever there's an opportunity for some, like, just a slight uh, insult or something like that to go against Savage, mm -hmm. they always seem to throw it out there. Yeah, I, I always felt like that um, Macho Man, I think, was really grateful and knew how beneficial it was to be Hulk Hogan's friend. So you just put up with all this shit. Yeah, because WWF was pretty much saying, you're going to be an announcer now. You can't wrestle. Right, anymore. right, yeah. All right, so Arn and Flair come out uh, to the ring, and then we go to another commercial. And uh, this seems like probably as good a time as any to clear up our uh, leftover question from last week as to did Flair beat Hogan in WCW, when and how. Uh, he defeated... Hulk Hogan at the Clash of the Champions uh, in August of 1994, and it was indeed after Sherry hit Hogan in his, uh, the knee with her <laughs> high heel, preventing him from being able to get back into the ring before the count. So Ric Flair won the match, but it was by countout, so Hogan retained the title. So. Was it like a fully exposed knee, or was it through the knee pad? I, you know, know what? I, no. I just I found a description of the match, but I didn't watch it. it, it I've seen enough Hogan Flair <laughs> for a while. Come on, that's good stuff. I also like uh, when they came back to the ring right to announce these guys that there's a there's a kid at ringside with those really awful WCW rubber action figures. Oh, those were awesome. The ones that Remember how bad they smelled? Yeah. And oh. they, yeah, they smell bad. Yeah. And, and they're like Hogan's in a position with it. Maybe it was just accurate because I don't think those guys probably smell <laughs> right, all that great. Not. But it's like uh, Hogan is uh, his arms are up flexing, but they don't move. No, yeah. his arms are down into the side, I think, even worse. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were terrible. They were just these big, uh, like, soft plastic guys that they they had no articulation. And Is that like the old uh, JLM yeah, WWF uh, figures yeah, from, like, the it's 80s? kind of like those. It's okay. like a, a bad version of those. Yeah, and I saw them, I'm like, oh, God, we had, like, <laughs> every single one of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. American Made plays, and Macho Man comes out first, and he is wearing red and yellow, so... Uh, if that gives you any indication as to who's number one on this team. I well, thought it's Hogan's music playing. Macho Man comes out and beckons Hogan out to the ring, and he's wearing Hogan's colors. Also, also the ramp is lit up with images of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> and Hulk Hogan alone. <laughs> right. I, I thought they looked great. 
I I love because I know you like the uh, the sort of like Jimi Hendrix Macho Man look from like the 80s where he wore like robes and stuff. Yeah, I liked him as like the like flamboyant cowboy sort of look. Okay. So I I really liked. I thought they looked really cool together. <laughs> like I like that. Okay. <laughs> Just <laughs> no, I politely mean, disagree. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I you like that? <laughs> I mean, I do like when a team, even a team of guys, thrown together, uh, match. You yeah. know, I like so the red and yellow doesn't bother me, but it thrown in with all the other things <laughs> yeah. is when it starts to bother me. <laughs> so if it were just the colors, I wouldn't have, a, or if it were just one week. But you'll remember uh, when we saw their their uh, dark side of Venice Beach promo when Hogan was wearing black, that Macho switched to wearing black, yeah, just to match Hogan. <laughs> Hulk Hogan's so cool. <laughs> 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 I like how hard you laughed at being reminded of the dark side of Venice <laughs> yeah. Beach. When they were outside with like all those bums <laughs> and like that weird Jimi <laughs> Hendrix stuff. Oh yeah. man! <laughs> to start the match, uh, Arn and Savage get in the ring, but that's only because Flair wants to call Arn out of the ring and then demand that Savage tag in Hogan. <laughs> so I don't. They should have just started the uh, whatever. Oh yeah, <laughs> and when um, Macho Man plays to the fans, he gets booed more than he gets. He cheered. does. It's definitely yeah. Flair country. Absolutely. It's in South Carolina. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Middle of Flair country. We get a shoulder tackle from Hulk to start, and they stare each other down. They lock up and then trade hammerlock and reversals. Uh, dot, drop toe hold by Flair and some more hammerlocks on the ground before Hogan overpowers Flair in a test of strength. Hogan no-sells the chops right away this time, so uh, Flair thumbs him in the eye. We get a big boot from Hogan real early in the match, uh, followed by some clotheslines. Arn comes in, and Hogan has some clotheslines for him as well. Uh, very, very weak-looking clotheslines. Yeah. That, that, I also mentioned this to you before. Uh, that's when uh, Ric Flair gives him, like, the chop heard around the world. Yeah. Because he, he knows sells these chops, but one of them is just, like, it... The I w- gun going off? Yeah, I, w- <laughs> I was... I was... Okay, I was not paying attention 100% at the time. <laughs> but then I heard this, and I was like, was it, like, a firecracker or something? <laughs> yeah, and it's... I mean, it actually makes the no-selling in a way impressive because yeah. he's no-selling something that did probably hurt very badly. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was a big Bret Hart criticism of Ric Flair, too, is that the chops were so much like a comedy sort of thing, but he hated taking them because they really hurt. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he makes the point that the whole point of wrestling is to not hurt the other guy. So if your whole right. move is just really hurting the guy, <laughs> you're doing a shitty job, yeah. which I think there's some argument for, but if that were... Uh-huh. If that were always true, then Japan would have, like, no cool wrestling. Because <laughs> right. all their wrestling is hard as shit. <laughs> Hogan body slams both heels, uh, who immediately go to outside the ring to try to regroup. Flair then tags in Arn, so Hogan tags in Macho Man, uh, which seems kind of like a dick move again. It's Hogan like, oh, this guy's beneath me, so I'll let my second-in-command handle him. <laughs> Uh, Macho Man comes in and starts working on Arn's arm, which is a difficult phrase to say. Arn ends up on the ring apron outside the ropes, and Macho runs his head into Hogan's boot. Uh, And then Randy goes on the top rope and hits a double axe handle to Arn outside the ring. Arn stumbles back into the ring, and Macho gives him another top rope double axe handle, this time inside the ring. But Flair breaks up the uh, subsequent pin attempt, and he and Hogan just kind of invade the ring and all four of them are brawling for a, a little bit. Flair goes to the top rope and you guys are <laughs> not going to believe what happens next. Wait. He hits a 450. <laughs> no, of course, Macho Man throws him to the ring and then Macho locks in a figure four on Flair. Arn rushes into the ring and Hogan locks in a figure four on Arn. A terrible one too. It's The whole spot is just wrong yeah, it's yeah. wrong hogan liked to do like this weird step over move in order to put on the figure four and it looks so lazy yeah because he doesn't like to do it like spin the leg to like get torque on it or whatever he yeah. just bends it and steps in and falls and yeah <laughs> and a, it few, looks bad. a few angry uh horseman fans must have assumed this is the end because several people throw trash in the ring <laughs> while these figure fours are locked on that would if they would have had them submit to that <laughs> that would have been awesome that, the but that would have been fantastic. <laughs> the building would have just like been burned to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Arn gets a DDT on Randy while the ref's back is turned. I don't have in my notes how they escaped from the figure fours. I don't, so I'm sorry. I, do you guys remember? I skip right to them being in figure fours to Arn getting a DDT. 
Well, whatever. Yeah. Uh, this wow. match, uh, I mean, I don't mean to be just a lazy uh, podcaster, but this match is not worth like going and finding out the missing spot in that match. Right. <laughs> Arn gets a DDT on Randy while the ref's back is turned, uh, but Hogan breaks up the pin. Flair tosses Macho Man over the top rope and then distracts Randy Anderson so that Arn can slam Macho Man against the guardrail as we go to a commercial. As we come back, Arn has the Macho Man in an abdominal stretch. Arn tags in Flair, who punches the shit out of the Macho Man. He really lays in some rabbit punches right in the head. It looked like he was trying to bust him open hard way, maybe, but it just didn't work or something. We get a side suplex from Flair, but Hogan stops the pin. Is this the one he breaks with a back rake? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Hogan loves the back I didn't rake. remember that. That's one of my favorite moves. Flair tags in Arn, and Randy... Uh, Gets a sleeper on Arn Anderson, but Arn escapes and knocks Randy to the floor, whereupon Flair whips him into the guardrail and chops him a bit. Arn tags in Flair, who gets caught in a backslide by Savage, uh, because uh, what is a Ric Flair match without that backslide? Oh, God, no one sells being given the backslide like the Nature Boy. I knew you were going to be excited. Of, of potential defeat. <laughs> Rick gets a shin breaker and tries to lock on the figure four, but Randy escapes. Flair tags in Arn, who goes for yet another DDT, but uh, Macho Man holds onto the ropes as he's, like, going down in the DDT, and this makes Arn just fall to the mat all on his lonesome, which uh, allows Macho to get over to the corner and get Hogan in with the hot tag. In comes Hogan with a back body drop on Flair, clotheslines and punches for both Flair and Arn, uh, but while he's attacking Arn, Flair, start, Flair nails him from behind. The horsemen then miss a double clothesline, and instead Hogan clotheslines both of them to the outside. Again, no DQ. Right. <laughs> Savage rolls Arn back into the ring, uh, but Arn hits a spine buster. His best move, his most beautiful move, he hits it on Hogan. Oh, how devastating. The best-looking wrestling move <laughs> ever, basically. Yeah. Uh, so what do you guys think Hogan does? Well, I know you guys have seen it, but you in wrestling land. Eats what a do you clean th- pin. <laughs> yeah. Hogan is pinned one, two, three. No, of course he back rakes his way out. He <laughs> no sells the fuck out of this spine buster. Disgraceful. You know, you know, I found that even more aggravating than last week's no selling. Oh, absolutely, Abs- <laughs> it is. It's yeah. Arn's signature move. Yeah, yeah. Hogan's disrespect for Arn Anderson <laughs> is palpable. Seriously, it's just he doesn't think anything of Arn. Well, I mean, you know that Hogan's kind of like this big. He has a big thing about like guys being in like a real buff shape right and Arn Anderson uh, does not look impressive sure and maybe that's like a resentment like I'm not gonna sell for him look at him he looks like someone's stepdad well and it's probably more <laughs> that he's the sidekick it's probably more like a yeah oh stature yeah on the show sort of yeah thing. I mean like he'll sell for flair but and not sometimes well, and to a degree occasionally he'll sell for flair to a degree that is Arn's role he's there to take the pinfalls so flair doesn't and that's fine but don't no sell his best move that's all right you know uh so anyway, a big boot and a leg drop later, and the faces have won the match. Yeah. The big drop, baby. You can count this one out. One, two, three. Oh, no. We have got the giant pass-dasher. They're out there fighting the horsemen. Look at this. I think they were just trying to draw their attention because here comes the giant. Here comes the giant. And look at on the outside of the ring. Pass-dasher and Pillman. I mean, they're going at it. Zodiac are going at it. In the meantime, the Giant has Jimmy Hart cheering him on. Oh, no, no, not the choke slam. He got him. He got him good. The Giant, without a doubt. He, oh, look at that. He holds Randy Savage up there like a puppet. He pulls him. He literally pulls him like an NBA star would pull him. A basketball. Look, look at Zodiac though, holding Giant back from uh, inflicting any more punishment. What is this? What the heck is that about? Hogan is down. He is hurt. Savage is out of it, and we're out of it. We're out of time. We've got to go. We'll see you next week. Here oh on no! This can't happen. Pillman and Benoit run out, and they can't even break the pin for a DQ to end the show. <laughs> Which would have been the exact same result, you know, storyline-wise. It would have told the exact same story. But right. the Dungeon of Doom runs out, prevents them, which makes no sense, basically. But. Yeah, the Dungeon run out, and the uh, a couple of them go to war 
with the horsemen, just with uh, Benoit and Pillman, just with the younger, the 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 uh, guys on the horsemen who've been pissing everyone off. Yeah. Um, Actually, uh, sorry, the the promo that uh, Pillman and Benoit and Arn Anderson had the, the week before, there's a great line in there where, um, or maybe it's a couple weeks before this, but uh, um, Arn Anderson warns uh, the Taskmaster that if you go back looking for Pillman and Benoit, you might find Flair and Anderson. Ooh. So it's maybe actually paying off a really good line from Arn Anderson a few weeks earlier. The Giant uh, is the smartest member who is focused instead on the baby faces. He uh, he gets Hogan up in a choke slam, which is very slow and awkward, and it's clearly on Hogan for not jumping yeah. to help out with the choke slam. Uh, and by contrast, the one on Macho Man seconds later looks fantastic. Yeah, I think Hogan is just blown up. I think after that very short match where he didn't really do a lot, <laughs> he is unable to satisfactorily jump to pull off <laughs> receiving a choke slam. Uh, so yeah, the faces are destroyed. The giant has laid them out. The Zodiac once again uh, is holding the giant back from doing any more damage and saying friend. So the implication, I think. Although this is not spelled out by the announcers, but the implication seems to be an acknowledgement that the Zodiac is, of course, Ed Leslie, longtime friend of Hulk Hogan, and that maybe he's um, connecting to his memories of his older gimmicks. You know that that uh, seriously that I I mean it sounds like a joke, but I think the idea might be that some of the uh, Brutus character is like in the back of his brain fighting to right. get back to being a good guy on Hogan's side. Yeah, no, and I I, I think we can kind of see where that's going, but the fact is, like, I just don't really care about that story. Of course. <laughs> of course. It's Ed Leslie. Yeah. Right. Nobody gives a shit about Ed Leslie. Yeah, right. the Zodiac has never won a match on TV he, up to this point, so why would you care? He you came know? into WCW. He was Hogan's friend. He betrayed Hogan. Hogan beat him. He went through like four different gimmicks in a very short period of time, mm-hmm. and then he became the Zodiac. The Zodiac sucks. Yeah, who <laughs> cares what he goes back to? Yeah, nobody gives a shit. Yeah, and that that was the thing. Like uh, last week or the week before when they started it, you could censor doing a slow build so you have to see like every week. Right, and I'm just oh, I'm like no, <laughs> I I don't I don't want and and like also, it's Ed Leslie versus the Giant. Right. If the giant wants to go back in the ring, he's going to get back <laughs> in the fucking ring. <laughs> so that's the end of our show. The faces are laid out, and uh, the announcers are are baffled as the cast in front of them. Uh, and and we will have to wait and see what happens next week. In our Raw results, Jeff Jarrett defeated Hakushi. Uh, a promo aired uh, hyping Vader, and uh, as we mentioned, he'll be in the Royal Rumble. Ahmed Johnson defeated a jobber. Uh, in an interesting and important development, the Million Dollar Man came on the Brother Love Show to introduce the new Million Dollar Champion. I assume you guys both know who that is. Uh, Diesel. <laughs> Fake Diesel. Oh, Owen Hart. It is, of course, the Ringmaster, a.k.a. Stunning Steve Austin. So, uh, just like we mentioned when we last week touched on Vader joining WWF, he uh, was let go right around the time Nitro started. It was within the first week after the first Nitro that Austin was released by WCW, and here we are in January, and he's making his WWF debut. Now, was that another situation where he was fired while rehabbing an injury? Correct. Yeah, that that story is pretty interesting because um, I heard it from Bischoff's perspective, and I th- I think it was actually on um, S- Steve Austin's podcast. It's something like. Uh, Bischoff calls um, Steve Austin, um, I don't know, to come in and do promo work or something like that, and he won't even answer the phone. So I think Bischoff has to fire him over the phone through his wife, his, and then what, later FedExes the... The bit with the wife is he calls and his wife answers, and Bischoff asks to talk to Austin, and he hears Austin in the background saying, tell that son of a bitch I'm not here. Yeah, yeah. So he, at that point, and Austin will admit, uh, and does admit, that towards the end of his WCW tenure, he was a lot to deal with. Yeah, it was time to go at that point. Yeah, so, um, yeah, he was fired by the phone, but it was partly his fault, and he was partly fired because he was becoming quite a handful. Although, he was becoming a handful because he was being held down by guys like Hogan, who thought that he was nothing special. Yeah, just as a complete aside, I mean, the fact, like, throughout wrestling, especially 
in the 90s and stuff like that that the wrestlers get fired while they're injured and it's just a the surest sign that like wrestlers need like some sort of a union or right. something like that where or severance or something because if a guy gets injured and then they get fired they just like I have no money now. Right. Yeah, and a lot of the wrestlers back then, I don't think this is a case anymore, but back then they would have these like 90-day injury clauses where if they were injured and couldn't work, after 90 days they could just axe the contract. Well, this is why so many of the guys back then would get those famous Lloyds of London policies, Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I don't oh, think those sure. even exist anymore. I don't think Lloyds does that. Anyway, there was still a little bit more Raw to cover. Uh, <laughs> in a sign that it is definitely 1996, Goldust defeated Aldo Montoya. Nice. And uh, in spite of last week's, uh, or no, excuse me, two weeks ago, uh, they aired that montage on Raw of Shawn Michaels, the little music video where it looked like he had died and ascended to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Despite all that, he is in fact not dead. He is not retiring. (laughs) He is entering the Royal Rumble, you guys. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess he found his smile. Wow, what a comeback. I love Shawn Michaels. And uh, the main event of Raw was just a replay of Bret Hart and British Bulldog from In Your House. Uh, oh, that match was awesome. That match is awesome. Oh, it is, God. yeah, it is a good That's match. That's the best. Uh, the show then ended with the second Billionaire Ted's wrestling war room sketch, uh, which implied that they ripped off everything from WWF, uh, speci- that Nitro, excuse me, ripped off everything from WWF, that their wrestling wasn't believable, it was full of old guys, and they didn't have a legitimate drug test. Uh, viewers were then encouraged to watch a special message about drugs on America Online that would follow Raw that evening. Ooh. <laughs> and apparently, I didn't read the whole thing, but the message had something to do where they specifically called the ma- the segment, the Billionaire Ted's thing, satire. Uh, and they were going out of their way to use that term because legally, uh, satire is protected speech. So they couldn't be sued for slander against Turner for saying there was no legitimate drug test. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, what did you guys think of this week's Nitro overall? Uh, I thought I thought it was good until the very end. Um, I liked the first two. The Chris Benoit Alex Wright match was really good. Uh, Eddie Guerrero versus Lord Steven Rigo was awesome. Uh, further lack of development with like whatever they're doing with Sting and Lex Luger. Yeah, I just ne- you never. I feel like on any given week they're just like. Let's just remind people that these two are not sure about each other, mm-hmm. but they might work it out. Yeah, I, I kind of uh, echoing um, what I know I said last week. I feel like this was good. It was fine. It wasn't anything special. I got through it. I felt entertained. But would I go back and watch anything on this match or on this card? Well, I guess yeah. I <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna say I felt like I was leading to saying no, but now that I remember that Regal. Eddie match uh-huh. I would watch that again yeah um, but nothing else on this show is very special that's that's certainly the highlight yeah this is just more WCW is just in kind of a dead period where um, there, there's kind of a fine balance between a slow burn and being directionless yeah where nothing's really going anywhere and you can tell that they're they're, they're really just trying to top the last week's show just with spectacle big names against each other but re- I mean really even like Hulk Hogan at this point doesn't have much direction yeah, it you know. feels like Hogan feuding with the H- Horseman is a little fresh. Yeah, I mean he's he's had a lot of matches with Flair already in WCW, but the Horseman specifically that's fresh. But the fact that the Dungeon of Doom are still along for the ride and we're still talking about the Dungeon of Doom and Hogan, I mean he's defeated them so many times. There's no reason for them to be anywhere near each other in storylines whatsoever. And also, just think about it in contrast, uh, since we've had. Hogan back to like the red and yellow for a month or so. Yeah. The more I see that, the more I realize like how at least interesting he was when he was wearing black and giving promos that were like just different. I mean, it's, it's certainly no secret not to spoil things, but it's no secret amongst wrestling fans that may of 96 marks a huge turning point for Monday nitro. Uh, but man, it, I got to admit, it's looking like quite a slog for us on this show yeah. until we can get to that point. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be a little bit of a trend. I mean, I'm willing to be surprised, um, you know, but if it's just week like this every single week, uh, you know, I'm really going to start to need to see some what, like there. And they have some of the elements in place. Where's Disco Inferno? He hasn't been on the show in weeks. Yeah. You know, um, like Lico? I said, 
Dean Malenko, yeah. Get, uh, so they really need to to freshen things up a little bit, and and I do think they need to. And I don't know exactly when they do. They need to introduce that cruiserweight belt because they've you know tipped off that they're going to have this big tournament that all these guys are coming in from other countries. Just give us the goddamn cruiserweight belt already, right. because that'll be something exciting that can be defended on this show, especially so we don't have to have. Okay, uh, this is a completely. I, I'm sorry to get distracted now, but I just realized the world heavyweight title has been defended on Nitro more than the television title. Yeah, the television. The television. Not, television yeah, when title. you're stressing that you're having a weekly TV, like Saturday night, you know, I don't really expect it to be every time then, but I really felt like at the time I thought I thought it was like part of the contract as TV champions that you had to defend on every televised show. Yeah, and I we, also have we had like two or three maybe. Some like that. It also bothers me when the television titles defended on pay per view. Yeah, I feel like weird. part of what makes it special is that it's a television title. That always bothered me. Yeah, no, that that's bothered me for <laughs> twenty five years. <laughs> yeah, at least twenty. Years. Yes. <laughs> In the ratings this week, uh, it was another very close one with Nitro getting a two point eight and Raw edging it out with a three point zero. Wow. So in ninety six, Raw is two and zero. My match of the night, no surprise, is going to be Eddie Guerrero versus Steven Regal. Dave, what about you? I am going to agree with you on that, Eddie Guerrero versus Steven Regal. John, are you going to make it a trifecta? Nope. I went DDP and Sting because, like I said, I, I think I enjoy the matches with character work. All right. necessarily than work rate matches. Well, I like when we've got differing opinions on the show, even though you're wrong. I am, yes. John, uh, we'll start with you for MVP. Who was your MVP? Uh, my MVP is also from that match, Diamond Dallas Page, because um, I liked uh, uh, what they were doing with him. You know, he was in a match where he was clearly overmatched by his opponent, but um, he did a good job of getting the whole just find some kind of underhanded trick to use to stay ahead of this guy who's clearly better than I am. Sure. And I, I thought it was it was just big to see him hang with uh, you know one of the bigger names. Dave, what about you, MVP? Uh, this week I'm going to go off course and I'm not giving an MVP. Instead, I'm giving a least valuable player. Okay. And this is going to be going to Eric Bischoff. Mr. Zodiac? No. Who cares about Zodiac? (laughs) I don't spend my time thinking about Zodiac. But... (laughs) No one does. No one does. (laughs) But, you know, uh, the Royal Fumble, Titanic Sports. Yeah. There's so many unnecessary pot shots at WWF when... They they seem to be doing fine doing their own product theirself. Um, what was the other? Th- I thought there was another thing. Oh, the uh, the new generation with the social security cards or yeah. whatever, because you know all of those were directed by Eric Bischoff. Right. And and I just I just thought it's like they spent this episode spent way too much time reminding you of the show you shouldn't be watching. Sure. And so for that case, I'm saying look, I'm saying Eric Bischoff, you got to do better than that. And I'd say by contrast, uh, I mean, it's not um, Shakespeare, but the Billionaire Ted skit- skits are legitimately somewhat funny. Yeah, that, I they, think by contrast, they're they're miles ahead of these jokes. Yeah. I mean, they, they put some thought into it. And they like they said with satire, they they're trying to tell uh, like a comedy skit right. where Royal Fumble really that's what you come up with? See, I think it's a thing where it's Bischoff just kind of throwing shade at him when he's thinking about it, but it's Vince, like, producing these, like, obviously long-thought-out scripted segments. I always thought the Billionaire Ted stuff was really lame, especially because I remember when we were kids, they would promote it every single segment, and that would always be the end of the show. Yeah, it was. Instead the main, of a main event. Right, it was, know. yeah, the main event essentially was Billionaire yeah. Ted. Yeah. yeah, so I I never really cared for the Billionaire Ted thing, to be honest. All right, well, my MVP of the show was Eddie Guerrero. Uh, like I said earlier, he really, he came to Regal style and showed that he can do that, uh, and not only can he do it, but he can do it excellently. So uh, Eddie Guerrero, um, who... We just recently uh, had the the anniversary of his passing. Uh, just what an absolute treasure! I love watching him every week. I'm so I'm really glad that we've been doing this project so that I can expose myself to a lot more Eddie Guerrero than I had previously. That's been one of the real treats for me personally. So yeah, and and the great thing is for him, there's like the best is like still to come too. Right. Uh, when he the when he has like when the when the competition 
fills out and gets better. He, he just he knows how to up his game. And uh, like you were talking about when the cruiserweights, when I mean they just been like talking about it now and then, but yeah. when they really get that division going and get like all these guys like facing each other very often, so they have like good chemistry. You're gonna see a lot of Eddie Guerrero with like all these different guys and just yeah, like you said, he's he was just he was amazing. He 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 knew how to how like you were saying to come to that other wrestler's uh, uh, wrestling style. All right. I think with that, we will call it a show. Uh, I don't really have anything to promote for next week because they did not tell us a single thing we're going to see on oh, next week's Nitro. They gave us two matches. Oh, they did? The, yeah, we've got Hulk Hogan versus Meng and oh, Savage yeah. and Luger again, yeah, which I, I made a point to that. mention but because so this week they had the Sting and Luger thing where we're, we're officially a tag team, which by itself is a weird promo to have. Right. Then Sting has a singles match, and then Luger has a singles match the following week as a heel. Yeah, which I I I'm guessing Sting has no involvement in at all. So, God, but, I mean, are you are you excited for those matches at this point? I mean, did you say the was, fact that I now Hogan and Meng? Yeah, yeah. I the think fact that I have to watch that in the next week is making me almost cry right now. Yeah. Hogan and oh Meng though at this point had he wrestled on. Nitro yet? Yeah, he's wrestled a few times. He Has wrestled. He? Uh, he was heavily involved way back around Halloween Havoc, and he's been sure. less involved ever since. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. I would be excited to see if Ming actually wears the bear monster. Ooh, there we go. That's Ooh, our hook for next there week. There we go. All right. Well, will the bear monster finally make his official twenty years of Nitro debut? You can join us next week and find out here where the big boys play twenty years of Nitro. Okay, guys, we need a new slogan for our wrestling show. How about uncut, uncensored, uncooked? Ah, no, we, we've already stolen that one. How about ripping off unbelievable? You know, like not believable. Yeah, like Ted's wrestling is not believable. Boys, this is no time to start telling the truth. We really need something original this time. How about this is where the good old boys play? Or even just the old boys play. Who you calling old, brother? What did I just tell you guys? This is no time to start telling the truth. Yes, Nacho Man. Let's lie. How about this is where the big boys play? Yeah. Ah, I like that. Yeah, it's just dishonest enough to work. But what if all our stars have to take a legitimate drug test for steroids? You don't have to worry about that, brother, because we're not in the WWF anymore. Yes, this, uh, this is where the big boys play. The new WWF generation. There's nothing old or artificial here.